Welcome to the Critical Care Obstetrics Podcast. My name is Julie Arafay, Simulation Director at Clinical Concepts in Obstetrics. The topic for discussion today is human factors. What is it and what role does it have in healthcare? It's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Nicole Yamada to the Critical Care Obstetrics Podcast audience. Dr. Yamada is a Clinical Associate Professor of Pediatrics in the Division of Neonatal and Developmental Medicine at Stanford University and a neonatologist in the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit at Lucille Packard Children's Hospital, or LPCH, at Stanford. In 2018, she earned a Master of Science in Human Factors and Ergonomics in order to augment her education and gain an understanding of how to apply the concepts of human factors to the practice of critical care medicine and specifically to her clinical and research interests of human performance during neonatal resuscitation. In addition to her clinical and research responsibilities, Dr. Yamada is an experienced simulation instructor and the associate director of the Center for Advanced Pediatric and Perinatal Education, CAPE, at Stanford. I would like to add that Nicole and I have worked together at CAPE for many years, and I gained an appreciation for how human factors can affect performance in healthcare from working with her. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's get our discussion started by describing what is meant by the term human factors. Uh, so human factors really describes two things. Um, I think first, fundamentally, it's, it's a scientific discipline that is concerned with understanding how humans interact with each other and other elements within a system. And that's a very broadly used um, term and application of the word system. It's really anything around them. Um, but for many people, it's also a profession in which they actually apply in a day-to-day fashion the theory and principles and data and methods um, of the human factor science to their everyday work. And that work is a huge scope of things, but it, it can be looking at how you might design and evaluate tasks that people need to do to the way that they might perform their jobs. Um, product development, the design and assessment of work environments or the systems in which people work in order to make them ideally and optimally compatible with the needs and abilities and inherent limitations of human individuals. Um, But overall, the goal of both the science and the human factors practitioners in their work um, is to optimize human well-being and overall system performance. That, that is such an important part of what we do. To, to have that information about what we do is, I think, so, so hugely important. So what interests you about human factors? Uh, what drew me to human factors was actually really learning more about what it meant um, to consider things through this lens, this foundational concept that there are ways to examine human performance and to look at a person's work environment for strategies or techniques to optimize that environment to help people function better in that setting. Um, and that really blew my mind, especially somebody coming from the healthcare culture 
in which in healthcare, it's much more commonly sort of ingrained in us that it's our individual responsibility to provide the best care possible. And that regardless of the circumstances, we need to find a way as individuals to overcome every challenge in order to deliver the best care. Um, the other fascinating thing for me as I learned more about human factors was how multidisciplinary it is. Um, this field is so diverse in that it draws people from all sorts of backgrounds, um, engineering, cognitive science, design, manufacturing, public health, um, kinesiology, psychology, computer science, even, and even more than that. Um, and the reason for that is that human factor science really draws on coming up and um, applying a comprehensive understanding of how humans as individuals operate. Just things as concrete as how they move or how they think, how they make decisions, how they process information. And then in, in a related fashion, how does that um, affect how they might interact with other people or devices in their environment? And so that allows then people who have human factors expertise to better evaluate and better design function and quality of products or environments or systems in ways that then can support um, easier and less error-prone human, human interaction in whatever way that that may be. So I wanted to give a really concrete example because I think it, it can be hard to really understand how this really broad field can sometimes apply to even our day-to-day -day life. And this is one of my favorite examples from a professor in one of my early courses in my in my master's um, training. And he talked about the water handle in hotel showers. And he showed like five pictures of different shower handles and how in every hotel that any one of us stays in, we have to relearn how to turn on the shower because every lever is different. And, you know, the amount that we might need to rotate the handle to get to the right water temperature is variable. Um, and some may have like a button to push in order to get to the water to come out while others might have a knob to pull on. Um, and we're all really stepping, when, when, when we step into a hotel shower, we're all preparing ourselves to be sprayed with like really cold or really hot water because we know that this is part of the process to figure out how this thing, how this device works. Um, but if the shower handles were designed with human factors in mind, they might be more standardized so that we could apply past knowledge that we have about how shower handles work um, so that we could more easily uh, figure out which temperature we might want to turn the, the handle to. The clear, they might have more clear markings about what's hot and what's cold so we know which direction the handle needs to be turned in rather than sort of the, the beautiful etched in tiny letters of H or C. Um, and there might even be like a temperature indicator so that we could pick which temperature we might want rather than sort of guessing somewhere in the red zone. Um, and so it's even these type of simple modifications that through a human factors lens take into more concrete kind of scientific ideas of human memory and visual acuity and tactile perception and decision-making that can come together in order to better design um, and allow a human to better use the device, um, in this case, the shower handle that may be in their environment. And so there are ways to bring human factors principles and concepts to pretty much every type of environment that we might imagine ourselves in, whether that is at work, um, as we often think about for healthcare, but also at home or at school or you know, even on vacation. 
You know, I, I just find that so interesting because I, I think back to when I was taking care of patients at the bedside, and I can just distinctly remember certain things that I just had so much trouble getting accomplished. And yeah. I think back now and I thought, God, you know, at the time I just thought, okay, this is something wrong with me. Uh, there's something something right. with me that I cannot make this piece of equipment work, or right. I cannot get this process to work the way I want it to. And I just think, if, if we had human factors, how would that be different? So how have you used your study of human factors in your clinical practice? Um, I, I bring a human factors lens now to pretty much every aspect of what I do in terms of, especially of my own personal interest, thinking about how can we optimize team performance in any setting um, and considering all of the circumstances that may have led to a team performing really well or really poorly. Um, and again, either at the bedside um, in more routine care, but also as you've alluded to before, looking at uh, more, more acute events like neonatal resuscitation. Um, and so, for example, when we debrief um, neonatal resuscitations after either real events or in the simulated environment, we always look at what the team could have done differently um, or could repeat in the future, um, recognizing that all of the responsibility for a team's performance doesn't lie with one individual. Um, and thinking about, for example, if a certain piece of equipment wasn't available or wasn't functioning appropriately or, or correctly, what were the systems issues that may have led to that? Or if communication between the obstetric and neonatal teams was not optimal, what pieces of information were missing? And what is the optimal time in a situation um, and, and method of communicating that? Um, it may be that actually the communication occurred right in the moments before delivery, but perhaps it should have happened um, uh, earlier in the day if the, if the situation allowed. Um, and, you know, was it communicated in a written format or a verbal format, thinking about how do people um, take in information and process data and what's the best way to sort of optimize that. Um, one of the things that we commonly see from a neonatal perspective is that teams um, can either do really well or may struggle with getting a lot of the initial steps of a resuscitation performed um, in a timely manner, because there's a lot to do, especially at the very beginning in terms of the, the stabilization of the baby and, and um, starting the initial resuscitation. Um, and many times we'll hear teams say, oh, well, we were able to get so many things done because we had a briefing before delivery that was critical to helping them know their individual roles within that team. And so bringing a human factors lens to that, okay, how can we redesign or augment the system so that a briefing happens before every delivery and not just on accident or not only with some teams and not with others? Yeah, that trying to determine all of those situations where human factors can help with performance, I think is is huge so is that the basis of your research or what what have you done with your research and human factors yeah my research actually has provided a really nice opportunity to act to extend further on um, some of the observations that we may make in the clinical space or during simulation based training 
so that we can study even more um, rigorously and objectively how we might measure performance being impacted by some of the changes that we can make from a human factors perspective. Um, so some examples, we, we've done a task analysis to examine space constraints in labor and delivery units in the event of emergency C-sections and discovered things like how the obstetrical team may have different needs from the anesthesia teams, but both of those teams have to be able to work within the same space and how the constraints of physical space may affect how efficiently a patient could be transported to the operating room in an emergency. And then even when the teams arrive there, how does the layout and orientation of medical equipment in the OR affect each of the team's ability to complete their tasks? And again, I think in these types of situations, uh, if you ask individual members of the team, or even, you know, if you sat down a couple members of the OB anesthesia team together, they might comment on how it was challenging, but they tried to make it work um, and that they found workarounds. Um, and surely that is uh, um, something that we admire and appreciate in terms of their effort, but from a systems perspective and looking at it in terms of how can we optimize patient safety and make these types of performances more replica replicable um, and avoid error in the future, it's actually better to not necessarily rely on an individual human's ability to adapt, but try to build in a system that takes advantage of the human, um, the human performance, regardless of who that person might be. Um, in my own research, my academic interest is in standardizing communication and streamlining decision-making during neonatal resuscitation. Um, and that is also um, something that I, I came to in thinking about the fact that communication during these critical situations is not something that we're specifically taught about when we learn a resuscitation algorithm. We're often taught what the steps of the algorithm are and what equipment might be needed and what's, what technical skills we have to complete, but actually how to communicate with one another and what most important pieces of information are, are not something that is um, concretely or overtly taught. And so by human variation. There are some people who are really good communicators under stress, and there are other people who really struggle in that. And so thinking, can we define what makes an effective communicator in these situations? And then if we can teach them um, a standard way that's known to be effective in communicating, how does that impact their ability to adhere to the resuscitation algorithm? And so I've been able through my simulation-based research, look at teaching um, individuals on resuscitation teams, how to speak in a more standardized, concise way. And then we can measure objective things like how long does it take for them to start mask ventilation or how long does it take until the patient is successfully intubated so that now we can see some of the effects of, of implementing a human factors based intervention on overall team performance and adherence to the resuscitation algorithm. I, I just think it's fascinating because, you know, like you said, Healthcare workers, I think, are the masters of the workaround. And mm -hmm. I, I think it can put us in jeopardy because some things we should not do workarounds. And we're so used to doing it that it becomes second nature to us. And we lose that perspective of, okay, this is an okay workaround. This is really not an okay workaround. Um, mm -hmm. So what role do you see human factors playing in healthcare? 
So the subset of individuals within the human factors community who are interested in healthcare related issues is really growing. Um, and there are a, a number of experts in human factors who also really enjoy the challenges, I think, of optimizing the healthcare environment. I think the other um, really encouraging thing is that there's a growing number of healthcare professionals, people like me, who are aware of, of human factors and really see the value in it. Um, I've seen it start to be incorporated into um, the design of new spaces, for example, in new hospitals that are potentially being built or renovated, or even bringing that sort of lens from an architectural perspective um, in, in discussion of spaces. But I think it also can really extend to um, the way that we use things in terms of devices or pieces of equipment. It doesn't have to be such a, a, a big um, plan and a big approach. There's, there are very um, minute ways in which human factors can also be applied sort of in our day-to-day -day practice. Um, but I think it's really important to recognize that the human factors um, allows us to take the approach in healthcare of, of making things work and really turn that on its head. Um, and as you mentioned, Julie, I think nurses especially are really good at this. Um, and I'm impressed all the time in my own work in the NICU with how some of the solutions that these nurses come up with to over, overcome design challenges or systems errors. But I think actually admitting that that's not the safest or ideal long-term solution because they aren't sustainable, they're too dependent on individual humans, and that we have to find ways to make things less prone to human error. So I think from a patient safety perspective, human factors is critical, and that really is part of the future in how we continue to iterate and design and improve our healthcare um, work environments. I, I think it's going to be extremely helpful because I have worked in units that were so that were so set up for dysfunction. Every room is different. Every room is configured differently. The supplies are in a different location. I mean, it's it's just a nightmare. Um, what can the average frontline provider implement from human factors into their own clinical practice? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, honestly, every day there are opportunities. Um, every time you are creating a workaround, I think there's an opportunity to consider how that thing, that device you might be holding in your hand, or that environment that you're working in, or that process that you're dealing with could potentially be better designed um, or oriented in order to make it easier for you as the user. And so, when those moments of, of frustration come up, perhaps it's not possible right in that exact moment, but recognizing those as sort of a, a signal to yourself that there are ways in which things could be improved for the individual user. Um, and I recognize that not all changes are readily um, possible or easy to implement, but it may be surprising to think about how, how many are still um, things that can be modified without too much trouble. I mean, again, I go back to the idea of location of equipment or, or um, um, how rooms are oriented, because I think that oftentimes that comes from more of a aesthetic and design perspective of like what would look nice or what, you know, where do things fit? But actually thinking about, well, how do the people who actually use these supplies or these pieces of equipment actually use them? And what's the best way to orient different pieces of equipment in a room so that the individuals who are using them can access them in the most efficient and ergonomic way? I, I'm reminded, as you say that, of a trauma team I watched. I was invited to um, observe a trauma team, and it 
profoundly changed the way I think about things because they had, obviously the patient was in the middle and every area around the patient had feet. And some providers' feet were on those feet. But that little area of the bed was associated with a task that needed to be done for the trauma response. And if the person turned around within arm's reach was every supply they needed to do that particular task. So you, you, by virtue of the fact that you were standing in a certain location, that indicated what you were going to be doing for the patient. And then everything you needed was right there in arm's reach. And I thought, oh, what what a way to respond in an emergency when you have everything you need and everything is so clearly delineated. And um, I, I don't know if they used human factors to do that or not, but I, I continue to this day to remain impressed with yeah. how well they were able to get through very complicated situations. Uh, and I think it was just because of the way they organized themselves and mm-hmm. And paid attention yeah. to, if you have this, then you can easily do this. Mm-hmm. So what would you want managers and hospital administrators to know about human factors? Um, I, would, I would say that through the bottom line is that human factors is critical to patient safety. That support for changes that decrease effort by the individual humans or individual frontline providers to help them avoid error will be what helps to improve team performance and system performance and increase patient safety. Um, and so that even those changes that may need that may be identified as needed, um, maybe costly or time intensive on the front end, there will be return on investment for the well-being of their staff and the financial impact of preventing error um, near misses and adverse events. Um, and as a, another very simple example, we ran some simulations um, a couple of years ago when our hospital was considering buying new furniture um, for our neonatal intensive care unit. And the hospital administrators had hoped to update the furniture and, and refresh it, but also increase the ability for patients to spend more time or excuse me, for patients to spend more time at the bedside with their sick infants. Um, And they had this vision of providing this type of seating that could pull out into a bed. And so this was a laudable goal of something that was very much appreciated from a patient um, perspective in terms of allowing families to, to be with their children when they're sick. But then when we ran these simulations, we actually discovered that this new furniture was too large to allow critical pieces of, of equipment into the room like high frequency ventilators or additional circuits for dialysis or heart-lung bypass. And so that if a neonate was critically ill, we would not be able to fit all of that equipment into that room that was needed to support that child. And so the trade-off became this new furniture versus necessary medical equipment. And so this saved the hospital money by helping them realize that by by not purchasing that furniture, furniture, they were also able to um, avoid this situation in which healthcare teams might discover this problem during real clinical care when a child was actually decompensating. And so I think bringing this idea that, that human factors and the way that humans interact with the environment and the things that they need to optimize their, their work, at least in healthcare, is something that is um, 
really critical to human factors and really integral to what human factors does, and that this will ultimately affect the quality of patient care that we're able to provide. I hope in the future that more people become aware of human factors and the role that human factors can play in making everyone's job easier at the bedside. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise, Nicole, um, and and talking about human factors. I think it's such a crucial topic, like you said, for patient safety, for staff. Are there any final thoughts you want to share with the audience? No, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And thanks to our audience for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. You can learn more about our company at www.clinicalconceptsinob.com. You can also follow us on our Facebook page, Clinical Concepts in Obstetrics, on Twitter at OB Critical Care, and on Instagram at Critical Care OB. Email us or send us a direct message for suggestions for future podcasts. This podcast was produced by Austin Baird. Are you looking to create a podcast? Please email me at podcastnashville at gmail. That is podcastnashville at gmail.com.